Takishi Mayura and Miko Indo. Takishi Mayura and Mika Indo. Not two names that you probably know, uh, but given all the people that our world exalts and lifts up, uh, two names in our sort of global world where we know things going on all over the world, those are two names that it would be good to know. Takisha and Miko were two government risk management workers in Japan whose job was to warn and direct the public to safety uh, during natural disasters. In 2011, a Japanese tsunami hit uh, the islands of Japan and caused tremendous destruction. Takisha and Mika were right in uh, the direct path of a 10-meter wave that hit the shore of Japan. Instead of fleeing, when they knew that death was imminent and knowing uh, the destruction that was about to occur, instead of fleeing, both these individuals stuck to their post. They kept broadcasting and they used their very last words to direct people to safety. Sometimes in the Christian life, there are waves of opposition. Uh, and these waves of opposition rise up. And these obstacles obscure our vision. They not only obscure our vision, but they rush into our life and they cause untold damage. The question when this happens is, do we abandon the Lord God? Do we run from the Lord God? Or do we stand with God and trust Him that He will keep us secure? That indeed, as the psalmist and the popular hymn says, He is the rock. He is the cleft within the rock that will keep us safe. Should we move to new ground? Or should we remain firm in the Lord God while the fury uh, makes its path and blazes towards us? Sometimes when the problems, the difficulties, the fury of life hits, it can be as if we're drinking from a bitter cup, that life uh, is no longer the sweet nectar that we once drank of and loved and appreciated. Uh, a lot of poets, maybe most poets, uh, have made a living doing what? Writing about how life is sweet and wonderful, but then it turns sour. And then things happen that make life not as wonderful as it once was. What does it mean when following the will of God, when serving the Lord God, when participating in His church as His people, what does it mean when God sets a bitter cup before us? When we have these bitter cups, these bitter experiences, is God some masochistic deity that just loves pain and and, and is like a child that messes with the ants until he finally stops them out. Is that what God is about? No. No, that is not the God we serve. But the Bible makes it clear that our God is a God that calls us upon us to use our Christian liberty, to use the freedom that we now have in Christ. He does call us to a holy love that demands sacrifice for others. And sometimes the sacrifice that God calls you to means enduring and drinking from 
a bitter cup. Jesus spoke of and alluded to this bitter cup. These troubles in his life that would lead to Golgotha and Calvary. He asked his disciples, could they drink from that cup with him? It should be no surprise that one like the Apostle Paul, who we've been studying and thinking about and hearing from as we've been preaching through the book of Acts, it should not be surprising that one that is as close to the heart of Jesus as the Apostle Paul is, would also in his life have to drink from a bitter cup like his Lord. What does it mean when we are called upon to drink from the bitter cup? In the book of Acts, we've seen as we preach through Acts this building opposition. And it is built, and it is built, and it is built. And now we are at this great moment of tribulation. A great tribulation in the life of the Apostle Paul is about to occur. And it's right around the corner. I want you to turn to Acts 21 this morning. And I want us to see the Apostle Paul's response uh, to this tribulation that is, that is going to go to another level. His response and the response of others around him. And I want us to think together, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to challenge us about what it means to drink from a bitter cup. Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Now remember, uh, Paul has been doing ministry for a number of years. They've been planting churches. They, They went out on a missionary journey. They planted churches. They went back to Jerusalem. They had a council meeting there. They go back out and they're, they're, they're uh, encouraging churches, planting new churches, finding places where churches are already at, where Paul is coming and preaching and teaching to them. But now, he, now he's got to go back to Jerusalem. And Paul somehow, some way through the Holy Spirit is aware that this journey to Jerusalem will be different. Uh, it's going to turn violent. The opposition from Jews that he has experienced around the Mediterranean, he's going into the belly of the beast. And the Holy Spirit has somehow revealed to him uh, that it's not going to be enjoyable, but he's going to do great things for the cause of Christ. Verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 1. It came to pass that after we, so Luke, the writer of Acts, is part of this missionary entourage that is traveling with this offering to give the Jerusalem church, which has been under persecution. There's also been famine at this time, so they're going to bless the church. Luke, who's writing this, is with this group. And he says, after we were gotten from them, so they, they, they leave the elders of Ephesus we led, read about last week where Paul pours his heart out to them, how he loves them and he's worried for them and just tries to encourage them. It says, after we left them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Coaz and the day following unto Rhodes and from there unto uh, Patera and found a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia. We went aboard. So we don't know what all happens in these places. But they travel to some other places and they get to Phoenicia, they go aboard and they set forth. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand, sailed unto Syria, and landed at Tyre. So they're getting closer to Jerusalem. For there the ship was to unload her burden. Finding disciples, so they find believers there, we tarried there seven days. And verse 4, these disciples do something interesting. We found disciples, tarried there seven days, and the disciples said to Paul, through the Spirit... So they've been moved by the Spirit of God to say this, that we should not go up to Jerusalem. Well, wait a minute. Paul keeps saying that it's through the Spirit, because of the Spirit, that he is headed to Jerusalem. But Luke says, and lets us know, that this was 
the Holy Spirit is, is, is behind this. They tell him not to go. Verse 5, when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. They, 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 they don't want him to go, but Paul's going to go. And so they meet and they, they pray. And it says, we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave, one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. I think about, I mean, it's a different scenario, obviously, but the, the mental picture I have is we think about the pilgrims who left the old world to come to the new world. And those that left, they would board the ships and they would go and there would be uh, prayers with those that would be behind and, and they would travel to this land. Well, Paul is going to Jerusalem and these believers come and they, can you see them right now? I can see them on my mind's eye. I can see them on the shore praying. And Paul gets on this boat and they leave. Verse 6, when we had taken our leave, one of another, we took ship and they returned home again. And we had finished our course from Tyre. We came uh, to Ptolemaeus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. The next day, we that were of Paul's company departed, came unto Caesarea. So now they've gone from Tyre. Now they're at Caesarea. And what's going to happen at Caesarea? We came to Caesarea, entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist. Remember Philip? Remember his story, what we saw earlier in Acts? The great ministry did well. He said, Philip is in Caesarea, and he was uh, one of the seven, one of those first seven deacons that were set, up, set aside. We know Stephen that was stoned, and Paul was there, remember? Saul at that time. Remember the Bible says that Saul, we read that, that when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was killed, it says that Saul was, Saul was there, and those that did the stoning, they laid down their coats at Saul's feet as they began to launch the missiles to kill Stephen. Can you imagine this meeting? Here is Saul, who was present at the murder of one of the first seven deacons in the church. And here is another deacon, Philip. Can you imagine the conversation? Aren't you glad when God takes enemies and makes them brothers and sisters through the blood of Christ? If you're glad for that, say amen. I mean, we don't know. I mean, I wish we, we're going to find out a little bit. But boy, to get behind that conversation, to know what was said. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Now, we've seen him before, too. And this is a man full of the Holy Spirit and full of the work of the Lord. And it says that Agabus comes down. And when he had come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, so he takes his clothing garment, and he bound, he binds, he binds the hands and the feet of Paul. He is dramatically acting out the prophecy. He is telling him, you are going to be bound. Thus says the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him under the hands of the Gentiles. This sounds like something right out of the Old Testament where sometimes the Old Testament prophets would dramatically enact what God was uh, trying to do. You think about Ezekiel or others uh, in the Old Testament where this would happen, where they would bodily act out. Many times in the Old Testament, the prophets would do actions like this to show the people God is going to take you into exile. And so you need to repent of your sin. You need to repent of your ways. You need to turn back to God. Well, he's, he's telling them, the Jews are going to take you away. This is not going to be some outside nation that is going to harm the people of God. Now, that is going to cause pain to the people of God. He's saying, no, this, this is going to be your own people. These are going to be the Jews who have the Old Testament, their leadership. Uh, they're going to take you prisoner. Verse 11, thus said the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns the girdle, 
should deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place, so both his missionary companions that are traveling with him and the church at Caesarea and Agabus and apparently Philip, all of them, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean you to weep and to break my heart? For am I not ready to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus? What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Am I not ready to not only be bound, but also to die for Him? You think weeping and crying, you're just going to hurt me. You think it's going to deter me from what I have to do? It's not going to deter me. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriage to take up their luggage, and we went to Jerusalem. And there went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, brought one of them, Manasin of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And we were come to Jerusalem. The brethren received us gladly. What mean you to weep and break my heart? For my ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Today's passage is one of those occasions where God's Word stretches the limits of our human awareness and understanding. Here we have the Apostle Paul who is on his way to Jerusalem. And again, Paul has said repeatedly that the Holy Spirit is directing him to return to help the besieged and struggling believers to help the bride of Christ, the church at Jerusalem. Here is Paul and his companions. They have gathered many financial gifts to help this church that is uh, under conditions of poverty and are in conditions of persecution. Paul not only wants to bring in these gifts, but he wants to personally invest in them to encourage them, to walk with them. He wants to identify with those in Jerusalem who are being persecuted for believing and following Jesus of Nazareth. Look at what verse 4 in today's text says, though. Paul says all this, but verse 4 of chapter 21 says, The disciples at Tyre tarried there seven days, or seven days they tarried there, and they said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Verse 21, 12, and when we heard these things at Caesarea, both we and they that were of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Now last week's message was a message of me just pouring my heart out to you. Today's message is a little bit different. Today's message addresses one of those questions, mind-boggling questions. Verse 4 is interesting. How can Paul claim that the Spirit of God is compelling him to go to Jerusalem? And now Acts 12.4 says that the Holy Spirit moves upon the church at Tyre to tell him not to go. A sentiment backed up by the church at Caesarea and later his own traveling companions. Is Paul right and the church is wrong about the Spirit of God? Are the churches right and Paul has been wrong about the Spirit of God, or, and I can say this today because Laura's not in the sanctuary, is the Holy Spirit schizophrenic, kind of like my wife, who when I ask her, do you, where do you want to go to eat, and my wife says, I don't care, and I say LTAP for the third time in one week, and my wife all of a sudden cares, the woman who says, I don't care, now says, I'm not going to LTAP. Is that the Holy Spirit? 
Has the Holy Spirit playing a game? I mean, the Bible clearly says, Paul says it's the Spirit of God. This is what God wants me to do. The churches say, do not go. And they say it's the Spirit that's prompting them to tell him, please don't do this. Now, I am, I am open, very open, to people who will come to a different conclusion than I will on this passage. But this is one of those occasions I think I, I want to address this because one, I think I'm right. And two, I think this knowledge of what's going on here can actually help all of us in our Christian life to appreciate brothers and sisters uh, who sometimes do things that are not what we would do. Is the Holy Spirit schizophrenic? Or maybe the churches are right that it has been the Holy Spirit of God that moved them to do this. And maybe Paul is also right. Or at least both of them are part right. Now again, I'm open to other perspectives on this. This is not a deal breaker if you don't agree. But this is a question that needs to be addressed. And that three weeks ago, one of my brothers asked me, said, I can't wait till you get to this. I want to hear what you say, preacher. I want to hear Here's what I think is going on. And I want you to listen with your heart and your mind today. Because I really believe that this is a passage, a moment that can open us up to the ways of God that are sometimes different than how we think about things. What happens to Paul in Acts 21? What happens to Paul before he gets to Jerusalem? What, what happens? What, what is going on at this moment? You've got to keep this whole, this whole set of statements in the context of what is occurring. And what is occurring here is that Paul is going to Jerusalem, and if you've already read the life of Jesus, right? So Luke writes Luke's gospel that is all about the life of Jesus. Then he writes the book of Acts that is all about the continuation of Jesus' ministry. So if you've already read Luke's first gospel, if you've read his gospel, or the others for that matter, but, but if you've read Luke's gospel, you already know about Jesus, and you already know about what happened on Jesus' last journey to Jerusalem. Now we're reading about Paul, who under similar but different, but also eerily similar circumstances, Paul is also going back to Jerusalem. The details are different, but the scenario is the same. One similarity is that Jesus had to go to Jerusalem, but his disciples did not want him to go and experience the beatings and rejection that waited for him. That is natural. Now these church members, they don't want this either for Paul. They don't want this to occur to him. Paul's fellow believers, like Jesus' disciples, don't want him to go. They don't want this physical violence and probably death. Paul has already barely escaped numerous plots and schemes from, from Jewish leaders across the Mediterranean. Just like Jesus and Luke's gospel, before he goes back for the finally time, had a number of times escaped Jews that were trying to either mentally bring him down by questioning him and undermining his mission or physically attacking them just as Jesus Many times escaped the plots and schemes. Paul has also escaped the plots and schemes. But now, just like Jesus, Paul is dead set that he will head into the epicenter of opposition. And they say, no, Paul. But this time, a little different than the disciples, under the Holy Spirit's direction, they say, don't do that. What is going on? Some things are clearly right here. The people are right that he will be bound and harmed. 
Clearly, Agabus' dramatic acts of the event is from God. Clearly, God led him to do this. But what about the pleading not to go? And this is where I'm bracketing this. This is what I think. But I really think, if, 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 if not all the details are correct here, I think the, train, the trajectory of thought here is right. I think God is using those churches, even prompting this. Why? I think He is using them to get Paul ready. To let him know, Paul, this is what it means. It means your life. And you cannot go into this half-hearted. You cannot go into this without any doubts. You cannot go into this. You must be all in on this. And one way I'm going to prepare you to do that is just have people that love you raise up what is going to occur and make you come face to face. Not only what's going to happen to you, because some people in life are willing to jump in the fire if it just means their life. But some people are not as quick to jump into the fire if it, they know that it's going to cost those that love them. I mean, how many movies have been made about an FBI agent or a police officer or somebody who, is, who tells the, the, the terrorist or whoever, go ahead and shoot me, go ahead and shoot me. And then they say, oh, we're not going to shoot you. But here, take the telephone. We, we have your daughter or your wife or some loved one. We've got them in another place, so you better do what we want. There are all kinds of people that are willing to give their own life. But when they know it's going to cost others, that changes the scenario. Part of what God is doing here, I think, is Paul must realize, Paul, you're abandoned to the gospel, but what I'm about to ask you to do next is not only going to affect and change your life, it's going to affect and change the whole trajectory of the church. And so you better be Sure, you better know that I am dependent upon God and this is God's will. And so I do think that God is using the church to confront Paul. This is not some normal thing. Even among persecution, what's going to happen to Paul next is a unique and, 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 and just a different kind of thing. And I think he's using the church to get him ready. Are you really, really ready for this? You want to go to Rome, Paul? You want to preach boldly to the Jewish leaders that you once ran with back in Jerusalem? All right. You want the gospel to spread to the uttermost? You've said in other places, he'll write in Romans, in other places that you would give your life for your people if they would only believe and you want the chance to preach to them. Well, I'll tell you what, Paul. This is also my will, God says, and you're going to do it. You're going to preach boldly to those leaders you once ran with. You're going to spread the gospel. You're going to go to Rome. But this is the price. The price is the same bitter cup that Jesus drank from. Because this world is tainted with sin. And the glory of God and the love of God and the holiness of God comes at a price because of our rebellion and our sin. And so Paul, this is God's will, but you better be ready. And I'm going to get you ready by having people. It's one thing if people who don't love you raise objections. It's one thing that people that have their own agendas raise questions. But somebody that loves you and cares for you, and wants to see you succeed, and is on the same mission you are, when they begin to raise some questions, and I think God said, listen, you need to listen to these people. And I'm going to use them. Because you need to understand just how deep this is about to go. I think God used these believers. I think Luke is exactly right. that The Holy Spirit of God moved upon them to get him ready mentally and prayerfully for just how traumatic things would get when he returns to Jerusalem. In fact, I think Jesus has been preparing Paul for this the moment he confronted him on the Damascus road. Jesus would go to Jerusalem to die, 
Paul who was there when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was killed. Do you remember that? Paul was there with the coat. And you remember what the text says after they stoned Stephen? Paul goes to the high priest, the chief priest, and he says, hey, write me letters that I can go out, I believe it's Damascus, to go to Damascus, and to bind the Christians, to bring them back bound. Who confronts Paul on the road when he leaves to go bind the Christians? Jesus confronts him. Jesus does something that, that, that it, what happens on the Damascus road is not typical. It's not typical. It's atypical. Jesus reveals himself in such blinding glory that it blinds the Apostle Paul, and he tells them, you got to get ready. He says, there's a lot of things. You're going to have to suffer for my name's sake. Who is Paul? He is the one who went to bind the Christians some 20 years or roughly before But now God has been preparing him. You will not go and bind the Christians. But you will be bound by those who once laid their coats at your feet. They will bind you for my name. You will not kill my name. You will ensure that my name is spread throughout the world. And 2,000 years later, a little church in Cookville, Tennessee, and little congregations in Haiti, and China, and Cuba, And Europe, 2,000 years later, Paul, you will ensure not that the name of Jesus is dead, but I will bind you to my cause. And your missionary work will ensure that the name and fame of Jesus spreads across this globe. But are you ready, Paul? Are you ready? Remember that it's Jesus who said to follow me means to pick up a cross. Sometimes God will move on you to do something for His name. Now this is important. Sometimes there are things that are just our own selfish wishes. I am not putting those things under this category. This is about the name of Jesus spreading His fame and sometimes when He prepares us for that, in fact always when He prepares it for us. I believe this. Whenever Jesus prepares you to do something that will spread His name, either with your co-workers or your family or your loved ones, it will come at a cost because the devil's not going to let you just do it. So I think sometimes God raises up believers to question our decision. People that are for us, not against us, who want the name of Jesus spread just like we do to ask us questions that help prepare us. Number one, to see just how committed we are. I believe God will use people to ask you some questions To see, are you really committed or not? Because if you're going to fold under the first questioning from people that love you, are you really committed? Number two, I think the Lord allows this to happen, like we see here, to get us prepared for the rocky road when following Jesus. and and, And this is not exactly the same, but it's in the same vein. So when I went to Duke, my parent, you know, my dad asked me some questions, raised, raised some concerns. Some other people that love me raised, raised some concerns. It was a great opportunity. Uh, the work opportunity, the study opportunity, the environment, a lot of great things. But there's also one huge problem. Uh, Duke Divinity School has lots of professors that do not preach the gospel of Jesus. They're there for other reasons. And there are all kinds of people there that their own personal lifestyle is very wicked. There are good people there, but there are a lot of people that aren't. And there's a history of, out of that movement, of people that end up abandoning the cause of Christ for other things. 
They turn the body of Jesus into other things. And there's a long history. It's not new. There's a long history of that going on. And when you get, when you get older, you start to see, okay, this is the same steps. We've seen this before. The devil doesn't do anything new. We've seen it before. And so there were people that asked me questions. I was convinced that that opportunity was what I needed to do. That God was going to use it to open some doors in my life, and he has. But you know how I've matured? I no longer look at people. I mean, when, when, when I was, what is this, 11 years ago, 10 years ago, when people asked me questions, I kind of took it as a personal affront. I took it, how could they ask me these questions? Because I, I love the Lord, I'm living the Lord. How could they assume that I would abandon the gospel? Why would they think I would fall for this? Don't they know? But you know what their questions actually did when I actually got to Duke and actually got confronted with some things? What they had done? prepared me mentally to know, wait a minute, I've had people that love me that have already raised these questions, already pointed to these things, and it actually helped me be prepared to in no way turn away from Jesus and what he's done. Sometimes God will use people that love you, and you're going to go right where you're supposed to go, but God wants to raise them up to, to not only see if you're committed, but also to ask you some questions, to point out some dangers, to see, hey, you better be ready when you do this because there is nothing new under the sun. The devil keeps attacking the same way. You better know that, hey, this is, this is what's going to happen. And when believers ask you that who love you, it actually helps prepare you sometimes for what you need to go ahead and do. Sometimes believers raise questions and you realize, no, that wasn't the will of God. I just kind of rushed into that. No, I didn't pray about that. I didn't think about that. I wasn't ready to go through with that. You know what? They're right. This is just some idea I got like anybody else, and, it, and, and I'm really not committed to it, so I actually do need to back off. Sometimes believers ask you things, and you say, you know what? I don't even need to do this at all. They're right, and the Lord has put them in my path to stop me from doing this. But sometimes, and again, especially those that are younger, this does not mean you take this teaching, and then anytime you want to do something, you just say, well, I know, I know you're kind of warning me, and Pastor Charles said you would do this, but this is really what God wants from me. I'm not talking about, I'm talk, I'm not talking about selfish things. I'm talking about things for the name of Jesus. And you better not play games with your own selfish stuff that you want and tag Jesus' name to it and say, this is for Jesus. It better really be what Jesus wants because Jesus does not like it when we take our selfish hearts and we tag his name to it, Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to follow me. That's why I say to you today, listen, I don't think that it's the churches were wrong and Paul was right. And personally, I don't think it's vice versa. I think it actually is just what it says, that the Holy Spirit was moving upon both of them. Now, it could be that the conclusion to say, don't, don't do this, maybe was a step too far. I'd be open to that. But even that, I'm not, I'm not sure that the Holy Spirit didn't prompt them to just say this, to see the commitment, and for him to know what it was going to cost, not just him, but to hear from their mouth. Can you, can you imagine just pleading all your missionary buddies saying, don't do this? Do not do this? I mean, that's a powerful, powerful thing. Very powerful thing. Don't do this. It's not the right thing. I, I got my buddy Matt neighbors man here we play ball together basketball together uh junior high and junior pro and all this stuff and 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 i can tell you man you know it's one thing for a coach to tell you don't do this it's one thing for your coach to say don't do this during a game it's something else for the coach that told you not to do it and you then do it and your teammates just stare at you just stare at you as if what are you doing 
You're not supposed to do that. So can you imagine Paul? They love him. Can you imagine the looks of these people? Paul has brought some of them to travel with him across the world. And they've been through this struggle with him. And now they're looking at him just like the disciples. Jesus, why would you do this? We've been following you for three, three years. This thing about Acts, remember, this has been a 20-year journey we've been on. And some of these people have been with Paul. Luke, just himself, who came in kind of later in the game. Luke has been with him a long time now. Paul, what are you thinking? You're going to go and, and, and get taken prisoner? And Paul says, not just prisoner. For I am ready not just to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now I know it's raining. And I know it's easy right now to drone out. You're doing a great job. And you're paying attention. And I want you to listen. Because listen, uh, there's not just physical rain. But there's an enemy that wants to drone out what's being said here. Listen to me. God wants to know, are you ready to go all the way with me? If you want the Holy Spirit to help you go all the way, say amen. That is what we pray. Lord God, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. When we sing the songs, it's not just some rote thing. It's singing the name of Jesus to help us this week to be faithful to His cause, His name, His fame, His glory. So Paul in verse 13, what do you mean to weep and to break my heart? I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we see saying, and we just all agreed, the will of the Lord be done. Here's the thing about Paul. The thing that you can never, ever forget. They know he's going to be physically bound. But Paul has told us that he's actually already been bound by a greater force than this physical bonding. Listen, listen. Acts 20 from last week, verses 22 and 23. Do you remember what Paul said? What did he say? Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Paul has already been bound by a greater force than physical bonds. This is the bonding of Jesus' Spirit, the bonding of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus said, I will send the Comforter. I will send this Spirit to point you to me. And Jesus says, I am bound to this Spirit so my friend, this is the question. Are you bound to the Spirit of God today? How can you remain faithful in the midst of temptation? How can you ask forgiveness when you're afraid to do it because there's a part of you says, I'm not worthy of this forgiveness. Or if these people knew what I needed forgiveness for, they'd never look at me the same or love me the same. How can I be faithful? How can I ask forgiveness? How can I be what God wants me to be at my school or my work or with my family or my relationships uh, with others that I'm dating or married to? How can I do this? And we know from Paul the answer is that you are bound to something greater than the temptation, something greater than the suffering, something greater than the rejection. You are bound to the very Spirit of God. At communion, we remember that we are partakers of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Your life is bound to His. We had the baptismal service uh, just a month or so ago uh, out, at the, uh, uh, out at the creek there. What did that do? It reminded us that we have died to sin and we are bound. We are to use another Pauline phrase. We are unified with Jesus and in baptism we are reminded that the sins of this world attack us and they assail us and they are real. But we are bound to something greater. 
we are bound to a future hope and a future glory and a present Savior. And it is a greater name than any other name. It is the name of Jesus. So yes, they will bind Paul. But Paul knows that when they bind him, he is never ever alone. Because he has already been bound to the Lord. So I don't know what you're facing. I don't know where you're headed. I don't know what your bitter cup may be. It may just be the bitter cup of life. It may just be life takes its course and the effects of sin and what it's doing to you physically and mentally. And you just say, man, I know what the poets have been writing about all these years. I don't, I don't drink, but you understand the imagery here, and it's the image of the Bible. Life was, life was once like a fine wine, and now it's gone stale. There's no aroma. There's no taste to it any, anymore. There's no taste to it. Maybe that's your cup. Maybe your cup, maybe, maybe you're a little different place in this walk with the Lord, and, there, and, the, and the bitter cup for you is a little different. Maybe it's actual rejection of people that love you because of Jesus. Maybe it's sin that you're actually engaged in, and, and it's not the bitter cup that Jesus says, hey, drink this for my cause, but you've taken up a bitter cup, and you're drinking that, and what you, what you need is the strong medicine of the Lord that might be bitter going down, but in the end, saves the soul. And Jesus says there is a bitter cup, and he asked his friends, his disciples, and his life, can you drink this cup with me? Can you really drink and be a part of what's about to go down in Jerusalem? And now here is Paul who can say, I, I can go where we got to go. I can do what's got to be done. Not because of me, but because I am bound to the Spirit of God. They will bind Paul, but he is never alone. And I know this, when you walk with Jesus, you are never alone. You are never alone. You are bound to His Spirit that He has sent you. That is strong language to say that you are bound. You are locked in. And so today Jesus extends an invitation to you. He says, come and be bound with me. Be yoked with me. Be one with me. Uh, that great movie from when I was in high school, Braveheart. You know, Braveheart, Mel Gibson, he's a great Scottish warrior uh, William Wallace, and in that movie, when he gets married, I believe they they uh, walk out in a field, and it's it's a secret it's a secret marriage, so the the uh, British authorities don't know about it and stuff, and they go out and get married somewhere. It may have been at nighttime, and and, and uh, the priest is there and stuff, and I believe they take their arms maybe and wrap wrap a cloth around. I believe that's a movie where that happens. What does that show? That we are we are bound, husband and wife, our lives are bound together. And see, some of you, you've been through heartache in your marriage and there's been unfaithfulness and there's been lying and there's been deceit and that bond was, that was broken. Because in this life, even the most sacred things get broken because of sin. If you're glad Jesus still loves you and comes to save you from that brokenness, would you say amen? Marriage is probably the closest bond you can have. But it gets broken. But Paul says, I'm in an unbreakable bond with the Spirit. So not only will I go to suffer, but I will go to die because I am bound to Jesus and I am bound to His cause and I am bound to His forgiveness. Takeshi and Mika stood their watch in 2011 when the tsunami hit. In a physical sense, they 
were right where they needed to be. Today, if you are not saved, you are not where God wants you to be. What does that mean to be saved? If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you have not confessed your sins and said, Jesus, I want to be bound to you. I want to be connected to you. You're not at your post. You're not where God created you to be. Because God created you to be fellowship with Him. And the only way it's possible is through Jesus. Because of sin. Today, you need to be bound to Jesus. If you've never been saved, you, you, you need to be bound with Him. You need to confess your sin. Ask the Lord Jesus to save you and turn to Him. And His, the Holy Spirit will bind you to Him. And believer that is bound to the Lord... It's bound to Him. What is it for His name, His glory, His fame, His body, this local expression of His body, the global body, your own personal life? What is it that God is calling you to do? You cannot do it unless you realize, I will only accomplish this because I am bound to to Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Last week was from the heart. This week's from the heart too, but a different way. From the heart addressing a question that our text presents us. And I believe there are some people in this room that you need to ask forgiveness. You need to look to Jesus. You need to be saved. And he says, come and be bound with me. You're, you're either going to be bound to him or the sin of this world. To the evil one. You're going to serve one master or the other. Who are you, who you bound to? Believers, there's a bitter cup that Jesus says, can you drink this? The only way you can drink the cup that he's got for you when that struggle comes is bound to the Holy Spirit. Bound to something greater. There is a God who is bigger than any mountain. But you must be bound to Him. Father God, I ask today, Lord, we have preached and we've looked at this text. And Father God, we have proclaimed it. And Lord, now I just ask at this time, if there's one who's facing a mountain, if there's one that does not know Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would respond. Lord, come and pray and seek Your face. Lord, use this time as the rain is falling. Lord, use this time to remind us that in Jesus, our sins have been washed away if we are bound with Him. Lord God, we ask this in His name. Amen.